Well, good morning, Life Church, and good morning to all of you who are joining us online this morning. I uh, hope you're having a great day. Maybe we can make it a little bit better. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I started talking about the time before Jesus ever preached, before he ever changed water into wine, before he ever healed anyone. Before he did that, he walked up to some guys that were going to be his disciples, and he said, I want you to follow me. And when he did that, he made it clear that following him was going to involve something that they never would have seen coming, and they certainly didn't fully understand when Jesus said it. Because he said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Say that with me. Fishers of men. Now, those guys could have never seen that fishing for people would become the prime mover and the central joy of their lives. And the truth is, we didn't see this coming either. Uh, most of us came to Jesus for selfish reasons at first. We were afraid of going to hell or maybe we needed God's help with something, whether it was an addiction or marriage problem, financial problems, physical problems, whatever it may be. There were some me motivations that brought us to Jesus in the first place. Now, we're seeing that the call of Jesus for those disciples in that day is the very same as his call for you and for me. We're called to fish for people, to take the message that someone shared with us and then share it with others. And hopefully we've been putting this on our radar and begun praying some prayers like, God, help me to fish. Help me to see and recognize the opportunities that you put before me all the time so that I can be increasingly aware of how you want to use me to fish for people. Well, today I want to talk about what's at stake, really, what's really at stake when it comes to fishing for people. Uh, the, the first and most obvious thought goes to those who would go unreached. I mean, I think about where would I be if the believers around me didn't ever fish for me? What if no one was willing to endure an awkward moment or an awkward invitation to invite me to the place where I heard the gospel for the first time? I mean, where would you be? It's kind of a scary thought for a lot of us. The stakes are sky high. And I want to make sure that that reality is planted deeply in our being. But there is another dimension to this, another huge cost to ignoring God's call to fish for people. Because not only do the lost go unreached and they face this life and beyond without Christ, but there is also a cost that is felt right here and now. And we almost never think about this, but it is as real as the significant nose on my Irish face. <laughs> Something happens inside of us when we push aside the call of Jesus to fish for men. Now, I read something that capsulizes this as well as I've ever heard, so I'm going to share it with you today. It comes from a great writing called In the Eye of the Storm, and the author re recounts this experience. He says, when I was in high school, our family used to load up the camper and go on a fishing trip every year during spring break. One year, my brother and my mom couldn't go, so my dad let me invite a friend. So I invited Mark. He was a great guy and a lot of fun. He got permission from his parents and we began planning our trip. Days before leaving, he says, we could already anticipate the vacation. We could feel the sun warming our bodies as we floated in the water. We could feel the yank of the rod and hear the spin of the reel as we wrestled the bass into the boat. And we could smell the fish frying in a skillet over an open flyer. Now we could hardly wait. Days passed like cold molasses. Finally, spring break arrived. We loaded up the camper and set out for the lake. We arrived late at night loaded and set up the camper and went to bed dreaming of fishing. But during the night, an unseasonably strong storm blew in and it got cold really, really fast. The wind was so strong we could barely open the camper door the next morning. The sky was gray. The lake was a 
mountain range of white-capped waves. There was no way we could fish in that water. No problem, we said, we'll spend the day in the camper. After all, we have Monopoly, we have Reader's Digest, we all knew a few jokes. It's not what we came to do, but we'll make the best of it, and we'll fish tomorrow. Now keep in mind, this is long before the internet, before iPhones, before iPads. It says, so huddled in a camper with a Coleman stove and a Monopoly board, we three fishermen passed the day indoors. Hours passed slowly, but they did pass. Night finally came, and we crawled into our sleeping bags, dreaming of fishing. Well, the next morning, it wasn't the wind that made the door hard to open. It was the ice. We tried to be cheerful. No problem, we mumbled. We can play Monopoly again. We can reread the stories in Reader's Digest. And surely we know another joke or two. But as courageous as we tried to be, it was obvious that some of the gray had left the sky and entered our camper. I began to notice a few things I hadn't seen before. I noticed that Mark had a few personality flaws. He was a bit cocky about his opinions. He was easily irritated and constantly edgy. He couldn't take any constructive criticism. Even though his socks really stunk, he didn't think it was my business to tell him. Gosh, I'm just trying to help, I said. I just don't want anything to ruin my dad's camper. Looked over at my dad, see if he'd come to my assistance. But dad just sat over in the corner reading. I thought, thanks a lot. Where's he when I need him most? Then I began to see dad in a different light. When, he, when I mentioned to him that the eggs were soggy and the toast was burnt, he invited me to take over the cooking. I thought, whoa, touchy. Nothing like being cooped up in a camper with someone to see their real nature. It was a long day. It was a really, really long, cold night. <clears throat> when we awoke the next morning to the sound of freezing rain hitting the camper, we didn't even pretend to be cheerful. We were flat out grumpy. Mark became more of a jerk with each passing moment. I wondered what ever possessed me to invite him in the first place. Dad couldn't do anything right. I wondered how someone so cranky could have such a pleasant son. We sat in misery the whole day, our fishing equipment never unpacked. The next day we woke up, it was even colder. We're going home were my father's first words and nobody objected and home we rode in silence without ever fishing. I learned a hard lesson that week, not about fishing, but about people. And here it is. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. Say that with me. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. Friends, those words are painfully true. When energy intended to be expended outside is used inside, the result is explosive. Instead of casting nets, we cast stones. Instead of extending helping hands, we point accusing fingers. Instead of being fishers of the lost, we become critics of the saved. And the result of that, sour Christians, critical people searching for warts on others while ignoring the warts on their own nose, developing the skill that no one wants or needs, pointing out weaknesses in others. And if that becomes us, sadly, the lost and the hopeless people all around us will go unreached while we argue over music or masks or politics. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. My personal opinion these days, not enough fishing, a whole lot of fighting. There is something horribly wrong when blessing is poured out in abundance upon us and we refuse to share it, when we hoard it for ourselves. We've been given this gift of eternal and inestimable valuable from God. And too often we hide it and we hoard it 
even if it's unintentional. The outcome is still the same. We take a blessing that's meant for many and we keep it for ourselves. And we talked a couple weeks ago about how the first disciples became fishers of men. They shared the story with others who shared it with others who shared it with others. They went fishing for men and they went fishing for men. And now here we are 2,000 years later on the other side of the world following Jesus. There was an unbroken line of fishers of men who faithfully shared the message with those people in their world. And people all along the line heard the message, bowed the knee to Jesus and received him. People like you, people like me. So here's a question. Will I take that unbroken line of fishers of men that stretched for 2,000 years and selfishly say, the line stops here? I'm not going to be a fisher of men. I'm not going to partner with God and with others to see people in my world come to Jesus. I'm good. I got heaven all wrapped up and I get to live the blessed life now and that's all that matters to me. There really is not a more selfish act than that. See, it is one thing not to share your candy or your toys or your money. It's another thing altogether not to share the love of God that we have freely received, we've freely experienced, and yet others around us have not yet. To be just okay with leaving some beh someone behind because we don't want to be bothered, that not only dismisses the, pe the people that Jesus died for, but it also cultivates a cancer in your own heart. It rehearses this pattern of self-centeredness, and that, unfortunately, is one of the most well-worn paths of self-destruction. Putting self at the top of the priority list is one of the great temptations that we face, and it has horrible results if we succumb to it. Now, this is not a new temptation. It's as old as the hills. And there's a great picture of this in the Old Testament in the book of 2 Kings. And in chapter 7, here's kind of the setting. This is a real tough time for Israel. They're in the midst of both a famine and a war. So the people are starving, and yet there's also a, a very real threat that's very close to home. And if war and famine aren't enough, this story centers in on four guys who have a horrible skin disease called leprosy. Just a traumatic, awful disease that leaves people as outcasts. They're not even allowed to go near other people, including family and friends. But here's how this begins in verse number three. It says, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance to the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We'll starve if we stay here, but with the famine in the city, we'll starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyway. So these guys decide, what the hey? We've got nothing to lose. So let's give it a shot. I guess there's a certain amount of liberty in not caring whether you live or die. So they march right into the enemy camp, and God does something very strange here. He transforms this little trip into the most hilarious invasion in history, because what these guys did not know is what God had done ahead of time, right before they got there. Verse 5, here's what it says. When they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots, and the galloping of horses, and the sounds of a great army approaching. So they panicked and ran into the night, abandoning their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else. So these four lepers are the most unlikely war heroes in history. Now this enemy camp is abandoned. It's fully stocked, but it's completely abandoned. And remember, these guys are starving. Look what it says in verse 8. 
They went into one tent after another, eating and drinking wine, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and hid it. So these guys, this is their woo-hoo moment. They're living the dream. In one instant, they go from starving poor lepers to living in an all-you-can-eat buffet and a free shop-till-you-drop clothing fiesta. I mean, they can't get enough. They're eating and drinking, they're burying treasure, stuffing their pockets full of trinkets and toys and gold, dressing up in new clothes. This is a miracle. They find themselves living in blessing like they've never even imagined. And friends, the truth is, this is where a lot of us find ourselves today. Blessed beyond measure. And what are we doing with it? Eating, drinking, dressing up, burying some treasure. Layers and layers of blessing that we've been given being squandered on selfish desires that have no bearing on eternity whatsoever. But suddenly the voice of godly reason got to these guys, got a hold of them. And they saw themselves completely caught up in their newfound wealth and comfort. But they come to their senses. They look at each other, all dressed up, gold and silver and trinkets stuffing their pockets, chicken leg and Twinkie hanging out of their mouth. Look what it says in verse number nine. Finally, they said to each other, this is not right. Say that with me. This is not right. This is a day of good news and we aren't sharing it with anyone. If we wait until morning, some calamity will certainly fall upon us. Come on, let's go back and tell the people. See, they realized then, they realized that this miraculous provision and blessing was not just for them. And they also realized that disaster would overtake them if they kept it all for themselves. They would have to answer for it. So they decided to do something about it. They went back to spread the word. They went back to share the good news with anyone who would listen. And when they did, friends, everything changed, not just for them, but for the whole nation. See, the blessing was intended for all the people around them, not just them. So what does this say to us? Very simply this, we have been given the ultimate treasure in Jesus Christ. See, in spite of our track record with God, God still loves us anyway. And we have all screwed up, messed up. And although lots of us see our sins as little slip ups that God winks at, the truth is that each and every sin is cosmic treason against a holy God. It's us shaking our puny little fist at God saying, God, I know what the right thing to do here is and I'm not gonna do it. It's rebellion. And God doesn't owe us a second chance. He doesn't owe us anything but what sin deserves, the punishment that sin deserves. But, but, because of his outrageous love for us, he chooses to see us in our sinful state and reach out with love to us anyway. He chose to take the death penalty that sin deserves and place it upon his willing son, Jesus. He gets the punishment that we deserve and we go free when we place our faith and our trust in him alone. It's the best deal offered to anyone at any time, any place, for any reason. And anyone who comprehends that offer and then rejects it must just be a few fries short of a happy meal. See, we get this indescribable eternal gift from God and he just tells us to let others know that it's available to anyone who calls on his name. Anyone, everyone. That's why the gospel is called the good news. And sharing that good news with others is what Jesus calls fishing for men. Now, when we have news that good, 
It's natural to share it with others. It's natural to share, especially with those you care about. It's unnatural to keep it to yourself. That's why something gets short-circuited when we don't fish, just like that camping story told us. When those who are called to fish don't fish, they fight. But listen, friends, there's another side to this fish tale. When those who are called to fish actually do fish, they flourish. Just say that with me. When those who are called to fish actually do fish, they flourish. Friends, nothing charges a spiritual battery more than seeing a friend crossing the line of faith. Nothing sets our spirit soaring more than helping someone find Jesus. Nothing lifts a heart like seeing answered prayer for a loved one, their knee bowing, receiving Christ as Lord. That's a victory on all fronts. It's a victory for eternity because a new name is written in heaven forevermore. It's a victory for the fisherman because he's doing what he was hardwired by God to do. So the fisherman's heart soars. When you're actively fishing for people, involved in seeing others come to faith in Jesus, well then everything about life and about church is better. The music is better. The people are nicer. Heck, you can even put up with the preaching. When those who are called to fish actually do fish, they flourish. Friends, you're a fisher of men. If you're a fisher and you don't fish, you'll have a constant low-grade dissatisfaction with your Christian experience and you will misdiagnose it every single time. You'll blame it on other things, other people, other anything. You will miss it, you'll miss it. But if you do fish like you're called to fish, then you will flourish. That I know. I want you to bow your heads and we'll pray. Lord, we're thankful. We're so thankful to you, Lord, for the call to be a fisher of people so grateful, Lord, that someone fished for me, and we're all so grateful that someone fished for us. Help us, Lord, to just be aware of how you want to use us and how you can make this the prime mover and central joy of our lives, seeing others come to faith in Jesus. So, God, would you do this work inside of us? Would you help us to become better fishers of people? We know you can do this, Lord, and we believe that you will, because it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, it's been good having you with us this day. Be, uh, be aware that we pray for you all the time. And we love you, think about you all the time. We are uh, making our plans now for re-entry. So uh, keep your ears tuned for the news of when we come back together. It's coming up very, very soon. But until that time, till we meet again, let me leave you with this. Go in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And remember, the God who came still comes. And the God who spoke still speaks. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. Happy fishing.